Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Alex. And I'm Anthony. And my first story this week is space news. Kind of. Uh, <laughs> this comes from Motherboard. Uh, an astronaut accidentally dialed 911 from the International Space Station. <laughs> oh. Which is a thing you can do, is apparently. That a thi- <laughs> yeah. This is, so that was the... Like, the actual incident itself is, like, kind of whatever, but there was a whole bunch of information about, like, phone calls and stuff from the space station, Whoa, which I thought was interesting. Oh, yeah. How so, does that work? We'll just do, um, like, satellites, right? Yes. Spoiler. It's, it's satellites. I, I, I just assumed. <laughs> okay. Sorry. You're Sorry right. for the spoiler. No, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, so, Dutch astronaut and, uh, Andre Coopers confessed to accidentally dialing 911 from orbit. He revealed last Wednesday that while trying to make a call, um, which in the space station, apparently, they have to press 9 first. And then zero one one is for an international line. <laughs> so he <laughs> oh. missed the zero. Okay. <laughs> and accidentally triggered an alert at NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas. So it, <laughs> it is hooked up to do something, which is okay. apparently alert people. Um, the next day, he received an email message asking if he'd called nine one one, which doesn't seem very prompt for a response. <laughs> if somebody the actually, next day? if somebody actually needed help, yeah. Um, but uh, here's so. That's what happened. It's not really that exciting, but uh, the uh, astronauts on the on the International Space Station can place phone calls via a constellation of communication satellites, as you as you guessed, and uh, and a phone that relies on internet protocol rather than a uh, public switched telephone network like most telephone mm. um, like most telephones on Earth. Um, and by using a form of, quote, space Skype, they can, <laughs> they can easily dial Earth with a surprisingly clear connection. Um, and the station even has its own Houston area code. Uh, astronauts oh, can cool. uh, use this connection to call friends and family, and they can also use it to watch movies and read ebooks. So they're not totally cut oh. off from life down here. Um, phoning home from space understandably has its limitations, such as audio delays and uh, spotty connectivity. Uh, which I, you can imagine okay. they're yeah. trying to hit a lot of targets from a distance up there. Yeah. Um, and this I thought was kind of fascinating. Terrestrial humans can call the ISS using uh, ham radio frequencies that the astronauts occasionally will jump on. And there are guides online, which are linked to in this article, if you want to try yourself. So if you know how to like use a ham radio, you can actually contact the space station. <gasps> that is so cool. And sometimes the astro- astronauts will be there to respond. And they might not be. I mean, obviously, that's not their job to yeah. monitor that for uh, people. But I thought that was really interesting. So just anyone can just anyone can contact, can contact the space them. station yeah. through ham radio frequencies? I thought that was neat. That's really neat. And I never really thought at all about how astronauts would communicate from there to here. And I'm, I'm it all makes sense that it's a makes sense that it's a satellite based thing, but yeah, I just hadn't, never put any thought to it. I hadn't thought about it before this either, but when I was thinking about it, I just figured it worked the same as like a cell phone right. kind of concept. Yeah, and they're um, like, and they're close enough that it is reasonable to make like a real time call, whereas if it was something like communicating from Mars, that would yeah, not that wouldn't really work. Yeah. <laughs> Too much of a delay. Probably would take like <laughs> a couple. I, I don't know how long it took. I think I want to oh, say I like, know, but I, I feel like in one of our stories about Mars, it was something about like um, a half hour to like communicate a thing that or something. Sounds right. I, yeah. I mean, obviously don't quote me on that, but um, that wouldn't be a very good conversation. No. <laughs> Hello. 20 minutes later. <laughs> Hello. 
in The Martian, like that movie and book, mm-hmm. like I think they I think they talk about that in there too at some point because they're like that's right. Text yeah. they're like texting back and forth from Mars, but I don't know what the delay is, but it's like not there's not enough of a like t- you can't do like a phone call right. <laughs> from there because of the delay. A text message but, would be a little more reasonable, just yeah, like a very slow slow text um, conversation. So when you first said that they accidentally dialed 911, I was thinking that it went to some like 911 like call center here or something <laughs> and they like answered it and it's like, "Oh, this is the space station." You know, like this is the wrong number. <laughs> like can you imagine that you're like on a 911, you're like, "911, what's your emergency?" I'm on the space station. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know what to do with this information. <laughs> they did. They did say that somebody else had accidentally one time called somebody on like the wrong person on Earth, and was like, and and, and they picked up the phone. And they said, "Hello, is this Earth?" <laughs> <laughs> apparently, apparently, freaked out the recipient a little bit. <laughs> if I was that recipient, I would just be like, "Oh, it's a prank call. Just like hang up." Right? Yeah. That, that would have probably <laughs> been my assumption too. And it's like, okay, very, very right, clever. Yeah. Okay. Very funny. <laughs> uh, my first story is health news. This is from National Geographic, and the headline is "How Ancient Remedies Are Changing Modern Medicine." Ooh. And this article was actually really, really long. So I only, I've like <laughs> cut it down to like a few interesting parts, but it's like probably five, six times what I'm about to read. <laughs> so if, you, if you're really interested in this, you can go read this article for 30 minutes. But okay. uh, few subjects ignite more heated debate than in health circles than traditional Chinese medicine. It's further complicated by the work of researchers who are looking at traditional cures through the lens of cutting-edge science and finding some interesting surprises, surprises that could have profound impacts on modern medicine. Cultures from the Arctic to the Amazon and Siberia to the South Pacific have developed their own medicine chests of traditional cures. But China, with one of the oldest continuous accumulations of documented medical observations, offers the biggest trove for scientists to sift through. So basically this whole article is about how modern scientists and health professionals are looking at like old, old literature from like all these ancient cultures and trying Mm -hmm. to figure out like, okay, they did this, but why did that work? And like (laughs) looking at the science behind it, super cool. So the Chinese record dates back to the 3rd century BC when healers began analyzing the body, interpreting its functions, and describing its reactions to various treatments, including herbal remedies, massage, and acupuncture. For more than 2,200 years, generations of scholars added to and refined the knowledge. The result is a canon of literature dealing with every sort of health problem, including the common cold, venereal disease, paralysis, and epilepsy. Like a whole other ton of stuff. A range. (laughs) Yeah, really wide range. So, okay, so here are some examples. I thought this was super interesting. So long synonymous with swindling, snake oil actually refers to a traditional Chinese ointment derived from the fat of the Arabu sea snake. Historians believe that such ointments were introduced to the U.S. during the 1800s by Chinese immigrants building railroads who used them to treat aching joints and muscles. The substance then acquired its shady reputation when American hucksters began selling mineral oil as Chinese snake oil. Oh. Um, but here's the thing. Studies have actually shown that fat in the Arabu sea snake, um, which is an ingredient in, in a few traditional Chinese remedies, contains high levels of omega-3 fatty acids. Um, and omega-3s are known to reduce inflammation and harmful cholesterol, improve cognition, and help alleviate depression. So there's like all these known things. So they found Hello. that it actually contains that. So it was an effective treatment. Yeah. That's cool. Isn't that cool? Like there's a, yeah. I love when there's like a science reason for stuff like that. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so another interesting traditional Chinese medicinal ingredient is bear bile. Oh. The earliest mention of bear bile in Chinese literature turns up in a 40-volume treatise from the 8th century called The Medical Secrets of an Official. It prescribes bear bile for liver problems as well as fever, hemorrhoids, and other ailments. It's like all sorts of stuff. Wow. Um, in 1902, a Swedish scientist isolated one of the chemicals in bear bile, later named ursodeoxycholic acid, and it's now used in drugs for liver diseases and gallstones. Um, but some researchers believe there are many more secrets to re- be revealed from bare bile, and they're taking aim at a range of therapies, including treatments for muscular dystrophy and for bedridden patients who experience muscle loss. Um, and so the reason that they're currently doing research into that is because they've been studying like how bears hibernate and how they're able to go into these states that like if a human were in that state, they would die pretty much, but right. they're able to like do that and be okay. And it involves a lot of like, like muscle tissue loss and stuff. Cause they're just like not moving for a long time. And they think that it has something to do with like chemicals in their bile or just like different like fluids that they have in oh, their body. So they're doing all weird. this research into that stuff to see yeah. if there's something that like we could use for something to take like a really long nap. Yeah, well, I mean, the, 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 <laughs> there's there's probably a bunch of different things. The, the one that they talked about most was like looking at like preventing too much muscle loss in, for people that are like in a situation where they might be losing. Like, like if you're like bedridden and you can't like right. like treating you with something that kind of like preserve your muscle mass or something. That that was just one of the things that was mentioned. But That's there's int- like a yeah, because like bears are really strong, so it it is interesting yeah. that they like maintain that even they though they just like right exactly so they can come out of that and just be like good they can like defend themselves and everything it's like huh yeah, I, never, I never even thought of that that's mm-hmm. really cool um okay so one more example uh, another scientifically proven drug that came from traditional medicine is aspirin this is like an older example obviously but the ancient egyptians used dried myrtle leaves to treat aches and pains and hippocrates the fourth century bc greek physician considered the father of western medicine prescribed an extract of willow bark for fevers but it wasn't until the 1800s that European scientists figured out that the active ingredient in both those things is salicylic acid, and they synthesized it, and now that's in aspirin, and that is now the world's most cost-effective drug. So basically this just continues on and like discusses all these intersections between like old traditional re- remedies and modern medicine and modern research that's lo- now looking at those old things and trying to figure out, like, okay, why did that work? Like, yeah. Is there a scientific reason why? Because clearly so they figured cool. some things out back then that, like... Yeah. There's probably things they figured out that we haven't mm-hmm. caught on to. Yep. That's really cool. So that was fun. And there's a bunch of pictures in there too of like weird medicinal ingredients too, which like, <laughs> I don't know. It was just like, whoa, what is this used for? Like, <laughs> it's kind of fun. Oh, it sounds really read, fascinating. So. Yep. All right. Okay. So Alex and I were talking about the stories that we found this week and, um, CES 2019 happened, so there were a lot of news stories about weird, like, well, yeah. weird and, like, just new technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we ended up finding a lot of those stories. So we just decided that the next uh, the next few stories are just going to be uh, our CES 2019 yeah. <laughs> coverage. <laughs> CES 2019 update. <laughs> and, like, all stories on this show, this was completely unplanned, but uh, it's a happy Correct. Uh, <laughs> So, my first story in this segment is from The Verge, and the headline is, The world's first foldable phone is charmingly awful. <laughs> <laughs> foldable phone? Meaning, like, you can bend it? Like, or like the display what? is actually bendable. Whoa! And Ugh. I'll show you some pictures. I don't it's, know why, but that makes me, like, cringe for some I reason. I know. Well, because you think of your phone. If you did that, <laughs> you, it would be dead. Your phone would yeah. be destroyed. 
Yeah. Um, but uh, this is a company uh, called uh, Royal, uh, R-O-Y-O-L-E. Um, okay. Uh, and they released a device called the Flex the FlexPi. It's L-E-X-P-A-I. So pronounce that okay. as you will. Um, it's, this article says it's the sort of device that companies rush out when they feel that they have to be first with some new technology, which is, isn't exactly a glowing review. Um, yeah. This is a five-year-old company that was founded explicitly for the purpose of developing and selling flexible displays. Um, really? And, and they faced a threat that Samsung uh, could come in with a rival foldable device, which they're af- actively working on. I think it's called like the Galaxy Fold. Um, okay. But it's, it's not ready for consumers yet. Uh, but this one is going is now available. Uh, it measures 7.8 inches diagonally, so it's technically like an Android tablet um, in its extended mode. But then when you fold it in half, it becomes two Android phones. Wait, what? <laughs> you heard that right. Why uh, is it two it, phones? <laughs> it actually it provides two SIM slots, so like two SIM cards, and like for, so you can have like two different providers on this same device, and like each side okay. of the phone is treated as an individual phone, um, and it tries to provide an auto detection system so that it only shows content on the half of the folded screen that you're facing at any given time. And note that they said tries, <laughs> and we'll come back to that later. Um, one of the two phones is assigned as the quote primary and its content spills out onto the full tablet when the device is unfolded. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you've caught on, but the f- device, this, it's a tablet and it folds outward, like so that the display is outside. The, it folds out. <laughs> it's not like a flip fold, phone where like the display the would be in. inside. It's, no, yeah, it's I, I'm gathering that. When it's folded in half, you can flip it on either side and there's and still display each side on the outside of it. It's technically a different phone too, which is just a weird choice. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm still confused by that. Yeah. I'll show you a picture. Uh, the, okay. the full display has a 19, uh, 1920 by 1440 resolution, which is like a decent, is a decent resolution for a tablet. And it shrinks to less than half of that when you're in phone mode, because a large part of the screen that wraps around the wide hinge is completely unused. <laughs> so there's a lot of unused, like yeah. it's like the, the, uh, the, 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 the curved hinge part. Yeah. What's it called in a book? The, the spine, the spine. Thank you. The spine of the, like, it's pretty much like the spine of the book and it serves no purpose. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, they say that if, if that wasn't enough to convince you that it's not a very good phone, they said the biggest failure of the flex pie is its software and basic operation. <laughs> Don't. Anytime well, you rotate the device or fold or unfold it, it gets very confused with apps awkwardly stacking on top of each other, overlapping, and sometimes accidentally launching. They said they accidentally launched the camera app like multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, best, the best part about this is this is already on sale in China <laughs> for, oh. uh, for uh, 8,999 yuan. Um, and which is about $1,300 uh, U.S. It's so it's very expensive, but it sounds like it's just terrible. Um, so part of me feels kind of bad for making fun of a device that has somehow achieved like a flexible screen, which mm-hmm. actually in it on its own is really cool. But like, that's just sounds terrible. Like that sounds like an unusable device. This is what it looks it's like. Completely unusable. Okay. So I could see that being very difficult to hold without 
like what they said, like without accidentally like launching things. Like, yeah, especially if it has trouble no... detecting which side is yeah. up. Like if there's stuff on the back and you're holding it and you don't know what you're pressing. I also don't. But it folds all the way down flat, right? Yeah, it looks like it does. Okay. And I, but they didn't, they didn't, they didn't say anything That's about bizarre. it folding like the other direction or anything. But, um, but yeah, Samsung's apparently working on one. Um, and they're, they're currently having trouble getting it to fold down flat without breaking. <laughs> Which I can see why Which, that would be a right. challenge. Um, <laughs> Unless you somehow put like a hard edge hinge inside of it or some, somehow that like. Right. But then like. But then when it comes together, it has to look seamless, which it wouldn't. Right. That's a very so hard, it's like, a hard, hard problem, problem to, solve. to solve. Like how do you even, I don't even know what. I mean, all that to say to though, had, did you see another thing that I don't know. I hope, hopefully this isn't one of your stories, but one of the things that came out of CES was this, um, this like roll up television i did not see that okay so it's it's like a television that stores itself as like a, a as like a long box and when you turn it on the tv like unfurls and like rises out of it and it's like a 4k screen I think. or it might have been 8k i can't remember it was like That's it had, it had pretty impressive specs so foldable foldable displays are apparently not really that far out from being reasonable <laughs> so i just can't even like I I just saw a picture of one and I still am like, how does that <laughs> work? Like I don't yeah. It it's it's mind bending, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> like it really is. It's because we're just so used to a screen being a flat surface, but nope. And and it's such a tactile thing too. Like I, I wanna hold one and just see what yeah. it feels like. I wanna, and I wanna try know using about the material. I, I don't also wanna... just because I'm an engineer, I wanna know all about the materials and stuff. Yeah. But... <laughs> I, d- I don't want to pay $1,300 to find out what one feels like, though. I would Neither rather. do I. Neither somebody do else I. get one, and then I'll play with it. That's what? <laughs> Someone just, just send us one. If send you're a one. listener yeah. and you just happen to have one of these, we'll send it back to you. Or if just you wanna, like, like, happen to have an extra $1,300, send us that, too. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure it goes That's to... That's also an option. We'll make sure it goes towards uh, this phone. Probably. <laughs> well, okay. It's on sale somewhere, so I'm sure we can obtain one. Yeah. P.O. Box. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, my first technology story from CES this year, um, this is reported from TechCrunch. The headline is, Kohler put Alexa in a toilet. (laughs) So happy new year. (laughs) That's the headline. Alexa flush. (laughs) All of our our listeners with Alexa toilets have now, their toilets have now flushed. Yeah, yep. Kohler, the company established in 1873 and thus known for its plumbing products, apparently has shown little restraint in the connected home era. The company debuted a connected appliance platform called Kohler Connect with a connect is with spelled with a K. Kohler Connect um, at CES 2018. And the push continues this year with the announcement of the Kohler Numi 2.0. That's the name of the toilet. Numi? The Numi. N-U-M-I. Oh, Okay. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about it the other way, but the new me. The new me. <laughs> new year, toilet. New year, new me. <laughs> what message does that send? I don't know. Um, the new me 2.0 is an intelligent toilet that uses surround sound speakers oh boy. and dynamic ambient lighting systems to <laughs> oh no. hopefully immerse you in an environment so tranquil, so idyllic, that you actually forget you're sitting on a toilet. There's it also- zero possibility. <laughs> zero chance that's true. <laughs> It also comes with personalized cleansing and dryer functions, as well as a heated seat. Plus, the toilet provides a little company in the form of Amazon Alexa's voice assistant. 
The last thing I want on the toilet is company. Why do you want company on the toilet? I'm sitting on the toilet. You hear a voice and you're like, hello, do you need help with anything? Like, no, go away. I don't like when somebody talks to me when I'm like washing my hands in a public restroom. I don't... I don't want this in my you don't, home. You want a robotic voice next to you when you're on the t- Okay, it's amazing. Oh. <laughs> this is also the first year that Kohler is releasing an entire collection of products that work together on the Connect platform, uh, and it's called the, the Veil Lighted Bathroom Collection. And it includes a freestanding bath, a lighted mirror, and a lighted three-piece vanity alongside the Numi toilet and an integrated lighting system, all powered by voice. So you can go in and be like, Alexa, turn on the light above my sink. Alexa, do that. I don't know. I don't know. Like you can tell it's like do stuff. <clears throat> with the complete collection, users can create various moods within the app, which yeah. will then be automatically conveyed uh, via audio and lighting within the bathroom based on the user's own parameters. The new bathroom collection also comes with support for both Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant. So if you have a preference, you can use either one. <laughs> um, Kohler is also pledging to actually release a few of the items it hyped last year, including smart fill technology on some of its bathtubs and a voice powered shower interface that allows customizable presets around sound, light, water, and steam. There's still no word about the pricing for these new smart bathroom products. It's too but, much. <laughs> uh, interested people can check it out on the Kohler websites. <laughs> Whatever it costs, it is too much money. <laughs> Whatever it costs, I'm not buying it. I'll, I'll pay Kohler. I'll pay you to stay out of my bathroom. <laughs> Please do not make this a new cultural norm. Thank you, I Kohler. I know I don't. I don't want to go to somebody's house and like have to worry about saying the wrong thing to I'm their just bathroom. Imagine, like, you, like in the future, like you like visiting a friend and you like, oh, can I? Where's the bathroom? What's down the hall? Okay, you like go there and it's like all the Kohler like smart <laughs> stuff, and you're just like, oh no, oh, oh no, oh no. Um, but yeah, there's videos of this in their booth and like, it's like a toilet with like black lighting and stuff around it. And like, I don't know why, but the, my first thought was like, are they expecting people to like demo this, like sit on it, like in their booth and Hopefully like, not. be like, oh, there's a heat, like, what do you supposed to just look at it and be like, yes, this is a toilet, like with lights. Like, I don't, I just don't understand. It's just, I don't know. Also, does it, <laughs> does it have like a bidet or anything? Because... I think it, it made it sound like that was built into it. Okay. It said it had cleansing and drying functions. So I think so it's you're like saying a I could stand outside the bathroom while somebody's in there and just shout, Alexa, bidet. <laughs> a Surprise. Whole new world, a whole new world of pranks. Kohler, you are just, you're just opening the door on this. This is, uh, this is a door once open that we cannot close. Ugh. Well, actually, I think Alexa can recognize certain voices. You can program it to only respond to, like, your voice. Oh, okay. So maybe you could do that. That makes it less fun. I mean, more secure or whatever, but less fun. Yeah, I don't know, but... So that's your (laughs) bathroom technology CES update 2019. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The sad thing is, is that probably wasn't the most useless thing at the show. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Don't worry. Mine actually is. My next story, at least. (laughs) Mine's actually pretty useful. Um, And this story comes from TechRadar. Google Assistant's interpreter mode is a world-changing real-time translator. This actually sounded pretty cool. Oh. So Google Assistant is being upgraded 
to tackle one of the most intimidating things about traveling to a foreign country. It's adding real-time translation to Google's increasingly smart uh, AI voice assistant. Um, and they're calling this interpreter mode, and it will be enabled by commanding a compatible device with the phrase, um, hopefully this doesn't activate any devices at home, but, okay, Google, become my Italian interpreter, or whatever language you want it to do. And then you just carry out a conversation with somebody who speaks the language, and, like, in between each person, the assistant will uh, recite uh, what you said in the language of the other person. That's really cool. Um, And the author said that they had a fairly natural conversation with a fluent Italian speaker, only having to repeat themselves a couple times, which uh, they pointed out is pretty much par for the course of these things anyway. Like even speaking English and asking it to do something, you sometimes have to repeat yourself. So that's a pretty impressive and like it's not even available yet. So they have time to uh, improve it. Um, Currently, it can translate between 27 different languages, which they were acting wow, like wasn't, good. which they were acting like wasn't that many. I was like, that's, that's a pretty wide coverage, I bet. Um, and it only works right now with Google Home speakers, um, but there are plans to expand the number of languages and compatible devices, including third-party speakers and smartphones. So potentially they could have an app at some point in the future where you can use this, which seems like it would be really cool in like a foreign yeah. country. Yeah, that'd be uh, super useful. Just like even in like a store or something, just yeah, being able to or like have a, a restaurant or something like that. Exactly. Um, and they did point out that the demo had trouble understanding Spanish from a non-native Spanish speaker. <laughs> that is somebody who just like took Spanish in high school. It wasn't very good <laughs> at it, and apparently oh, the, interesting. the assistant just kept interpreting their Spanish as uh, English and then reciting it back to them in Spanish, <laughs> like. Wait, reciting like really? the, what the words sounded like it was just it, it it had trouble determining it without like an actual spanish accent that's so. interesting so they must have just they must have trained it it's on just mostly like native speakers uh, right? yeah that's what they said it's like it's designed to understand native speakers which, which I mean, makes, makes sense, sense i mean that's most, when you would have right, to use it normally, outside so. of just like playing around with it you're not gonna probably yeah. be using it um with non-native speakers so mm-hmm. yeah I thought that was really that's cool. That's really cool. Like that that feels very futuristic to me. Yeah. Like the only I think the, the next step is like having a a headset or something that like interprets it as you hear it. Yeah. And that's that, what I was thinking too. Like that's the future of globalization, like global mm-hmm. economy and stuff. Like imagine like you have coworkers that like don't they don't speak your language, but you can put on some type of headset and talk to them over the phone or something and it just like And you can both speak in your native tongue and Yeah, like, and it will just totally like be translating it for you. Mhm. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay. My next story is from Business Insider. Uh, and the headline is, Google is running a Disneyland-style ride from its massive booth at the world's, <laughs> world's largest tech show. What? Like, th- this really isn't about any, like, actual technology improvements. It's just about how Google is over the top in everything they do. Yeah. Uh at its only uh, second official appearance, Google is determined to win this year's Consumer Electronics <laughs> Show. Uh, Google's booth will include a ride similar to Disney's It's a Small World, showcasing different ways to use the Google Assistant. Uh, by hopping aboard the ride, attendees experience how the Assistant can be helpful in the face of life's twists and turns 
at home, in the car, on the go, and by following a day in the life of a small family, <laughs> Google spokesperson told Business Insider. That's not creepy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Last year, Google set up a, a playground for CES attendees equipped with a blue swirly slide and a giant gumball machine that gave away prizes like Google Home devices and Nest security cameras. Oh, my God. So it was, like, really intense. I guess they do have um, a ton of money to just throw away. Yeah, apparently. Uh, and then after rainstorms on opening day, however, this was last year, the massive Google booth flooded and had to be cleaned out before reopening. Oh, boy. Um, so this year, there is a roof in case the weather turns, um, but they noted that the the booth is 18,000 square feet. Holy cow. This year. That's three times larger than it was last year, but yeah, it's 18,000 square foot. That's a booth. That's insane. That's, like, bigger than, like... Like, a company several, building? I don't know. That's like, like several houses? A, yeah, several houses. <laughs> like, you could... You could fit like a small company in a space smaller. You could definitely than fit that. a small family in a space smaller than that. Yeah, that's like several houses of yeah, space. That's crazy. Of, of their booth at this conference. <laughs> yeah, leave it to Google. Um, but yeah, they just have money to throw away on this a week's worth of a ride at a booth at a conference. If you're lucky enough to go there, that's probably really fun. Yeah, no, that sounds fun. I'd love to be invited. And I get to fold a phone too, probably. Yeah, be fun. That would be fun. Lots of lots of lots of fun experiences to be had. Do they invite people that do podcasts to the show? Probably not. Oh man, <laughs> we use technology. <laughs> we, we use technology. Can we come to this? <laughs> can, we, can we play with? You? I want to play with a foldable technology. <laughs> I want to roll up a TV. That's what I want to do. Yeah, you should look up the video of it. It's really cool. Okay, I will after this. All right, that was our uh, our CES 2019 <laughs> coverage. Uh, look forward to next year yeah. when we might do this again, <laughs> if we remember. Yeah, that's that about sums it up. Uh, thanks for listening to that segment. Okay. And now back to our regularly scheduled programming. It is now time for breaking news. <gasps> the part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that were just posted today or just happened today, and we read them to you on the fly. That sounds awesome. Ready, set. Go! Go! All right, the story that I found comes from the Huffington Post. Over 100 praying mantises take over home after woman buys infested Christmas tree. <gasps> this is why I don't like live Christmas trees. <laughs> this, yep, that's this what I was thinking. This is stuff of nightmares. <laughs> after our last story, I was like, well, this is a pretty good reason. <gasps> it's a good reason to, <laughs> to vote against the live tree. Um they said a Virginia woman's Christmas tree left her a gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> uh, so more than 100 praying mantises have invested her home after hatching from an egg case that was hidden in her Christmas tree. Oh, wow. Oops. Um, so they're just crawling on everything. According to this, uh, according to this woman, she says uh, she doesn't want to even think about the fact that they might be in her bedroom. Because, ha, could you imagine? They're usually harmless to people, but like it's still, I just don't like the idea of things crawling on me. Yeah. Um, she says she's trying, she's been trying to avoid hurting them. Uh, she's been trying to scoop them up in a shoebox and store them in there. And she's been feeding them fruit flies while she tries to find them new homes because apparently people really like them. Uh, they'll use them for, uh, uh organic gardening and things like that because oh, really? they, they eat a lot of other bugs. So she's trying to, uh, treat them very humanely. That's good. And, uh, <laughs> nonetheless the infestation she says has inspired her to get an artificial tree for next christmas <laughs> which yikes can you blame her 
Yeah. I was thinking about all of the things that your house could be infested with after you get a live tree in there. And of those things, actually, praying mantises are praying mantis. The praying mantises. Why can't I say that right now? <laughs> uh, are not. That's not too bad. I mean, they're kind of yeah. just they're calm. Pretty... They're not too like skittery right. bugs. Like they don't really yeah. gross me out like some other insects do. And they're pretty much harmless too. Yeah, just a little creepy, but they're, yeah, they're really good for eating other bugs. Mm -hmm. Okay. The story I found is from Reuters.com and apparently New York's iconic Chrysler building is up for sale. Oh, Uh, wow. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that cool? (laughs) Uh, The Chrysler building, an art deco masterpiece that has been a defining image of New York city skyline for decades has been put up for sale. A minority owner of the building and a broker hired to market the property said, uh, this week, the 77-story stainless steel-clad skyscraper, briefly the world's tallest building after it was finished in 1930, is 90% owned by the Abu Dhabi Investment Council, a sovereign wealth fund, uh, with developer Tishman Spire owning the remainder of the building. Hmm. So that person owns 10% of it, and 99 or 90% of the other is like other people. Um. So, yeah, they're getting inquiries from all over the world to to buy this. Um, But they have not disclosed, like, how much it costs, (laughs) which I was, I read through this thing and I was like, oh, how much is it? But they haven't announced that Uh, publicly. See, that's what I want to know. But I I imagine I can't afford it either way. When the Sovereign Wealth Fund bought its stake in it, they paid $800 million. That was in 2008. So, like, 10 Hmm. years ago. Wow. So, dang, eight hundred million. That's for ninety percent ownership of that building ten years ago. That's a lot of. That's a lot of money. So yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, but. I definitely can't afford that. <laughs> I mean, if you save up for like fifty lifetimes, <laughs> you might be able to. You know. Yes. Um, but yeah, the other thing that was interesting in here is that apparently that building's occupancy rate, like people like renting out spaces in it, is is a. Uh, in the low 80% range, and that's below the city average, apparently. Really? Mm-hmm. That seems high to me, but I know nothing about real estate. That seems kind of high to me, too, but yeah. I don't really... But the location of it, it's, like, really in a great spot downtown. It's, like, close to Grand mm-hmm. Central Station and stuff, so, like, yeah. you'd think it would be full. I don't. I just assumed that, but yeah, so that's I thought surprising. that was kind of surprising. But, uh, yeah, that, hmm. that was cool. So if you, ha- if you have, like, a billion dollars lying around, you know, you know just check out... Contact these people selling the the Chrysler building in New York City. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. You could own a landmark. Yeah, that's like a global landmark. Mm -hmm. How cool would that be to own that? And then spray paint a giant picture of your face on it. Just carve a stone carving of your head into the side of the building. It's your own mini Mount Mount Rushmore in the middle of New York City. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday. And as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. You can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and uh, really any other app that you want to. And uh, you can follow us on Facebook.com slash News and on Twitter at, at Knickknack News. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. 911. Toilet. <laughs> <laughs>
Have we done toilet before? Oh, maybe we, I don't know. I didn't check. I actually, this is like the one time I didn't check. Okay, let me look. <laughs> <laughs> We've done urinals. That's what oh, I was thinking of because okay. that made me that laugh too. <laughs>